Welcome to the Grace at a Glance podcast from Grace Church of Linnets and Grace Creative. We are a Jesus church where the gospel is central, where we love Jesus, build people, and lead revival. Thanks for joining us. Super thankful for Pastor Tim's leadership on um, these years that we've been here. We've just been really grateful for um, such a true servant leader. Just blessed by him. We're in a series this morning called Haggai. And my name's Mike Corson. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm privileged to speak in the second week in this series. We're going through the book of Haggai in the month of January. So we're moving pretty quickly through, but it's only a couple chapters. And last week, Pastor Dave spoke about doing the thing that the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do. And I thought that he did a fantastic job. And this morning, we're going to look at the next few verses in chapter 1 of Haggai. And we're going to talk about how we live lives of faithfulness to God. How we live lives of faithfulness to God and what it might look like to live in radical obedience. To him. So if you're in a place in your life where you feel like you wish you were following Jesus in a greater capacity, I encourage you to tune in this morning because you just might find something that God gives you to begin following him more deeply. About five or ten years ago, a friend of mine named John got a gift for his birthday from his wife, and it was two passes to go skydiving for him and a friend. And So John called me up and he's like, hey, my wife got me these two tickets to go skydiving. Do you want to come with me? And I said, sure. Yeah, I'll do that with you. So we went to this place somewhere in uh, just a little bit north in Pennsylvania and we drove there and we showed up and we were in this training for a few hours and some of you have probably done this before. But as we're going through this training process, the instructors ask, is there anyone who's done this before? And I raised my hand, yeah, I did it once. Uh, on my honeymoon with my wife. And so he, he looks around, and I'm the only one with my hand up. And so he says to me, okay, I'm going to give you a little more responsibility this time. So, okay. And so he, he grabs a, what looked like a watch with a Velcro strap and said, here's an altimeter. I'm going to have you wear this. And he's like, and you're going to pull the ripcord. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? I pulled the ripcord. And so we get in through this training together, and we get in the plane, and we take off, and we're up in the air, and we get to 10,000 feet, and people are jumping out of a perfectly good plane. That is a weird feeling. It's a very weird feeling. And so finally, it gets to me and the instructor who I'm strapped to, you know, like a baby in a Bjorn. That's weird. And so we, we get to our turn, and we jump out of this plane now, he had instructed me very clearly, I have to watch the altimeter, which for those of you who don't know, it's not a real common word. That's what tells you how long you have until you plummet to your death. And so you have to watch it. Starts at 10,000 feet. Goes down very, very, very fast. And so he said, you have to pull the ripcord at 3,000 feet. Nobody tells you how hard that thing is to pull, man. Maybe I'm just a wimp or something, but it's not easy. 
you got to really give that thing some oomph. So we jump out of the plane, and I, I look at my altimeter. Okay, it's like 9,500. I'm like, okay, okay, focus. 3,000 feet, got to pull that thing. I was so focused, there was nothing that was going to stop me from following his instructions. Nothing. It didn't matter what it took. It didn't matter what I had to do. I was pulling that thing at 3,000 feet. And so I looked again, 7,500. I'm like, man, that's going fast. I'm like, okay, enjoy it, Mike, enjoy it. Falling, look again, 45. I'm like, okay, so we get to 3,000 feet, and finally I go to pull that thing. I grab it right here, and I pulled it, and it wouldn't pull out. And I'm like, man, what the? So I grab it a second time, and I pull it as hard as I could, and it pulled out, and the parachute deployed, and we floated around for a while. And we landed, and we were okay. I was nervous that I would screw the thing up, and the results would be bad. In fact, all my attention was on getting it right. I had a high sense of urgency to follow those instructions. Pull that cord at 3,000 feet, Mike. Got it. I'm doing that. I was determined to submit at all costs. And there are moments in life when we are highly motivated to do what we have been told to do. There are moments in life when we're highly motivated. We have a high sense of urgency. Pull the cord at 3,000 feet. But there are other times when I know what I should do, but I choose not to. Right? When it comes to our spiritual lives, there are moments when we choose not to obey God because it's inconvenient or because it doesn't feel as good or because it seems too hard. But what if we had a high sense of urgency around obeying the Word of God and the voice of the Spirit? What if just like Pulling that ripcord, we said, I am going to obey my Jesus at all costs. What if every one of us lived in a passionate pursuit of a life of submission to him? This morning we're looking at Haggai chapter 1. And at this time in the life of Israel, when Haggai chapter 1 was written, the temple was in ruins. And God spoke through the prophet Haggai, telling the people to rebuild the temple. And that required sacrifice. That would require a lot of time. That would require them giving a lot of their own resources. It would not be an easy task. And in Haggai chapter 1 verse 12, where we pick up from last week, it says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, you want to sound like you know what you're talking about, you just say it fast. Even if you're wrong, say it fast. Makes it sound like you know exactly what you're doing. Josadak, the high priest and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. The passage says the whole remnant of the people obeyed. Every one of them, every man, woman, and child responded with a yes to the thing that Haggai had told them to do. Why is that? 
Why did they obey? Why did they respond with a yes to the voice of the prophet Haggai? It says in the passage, it says, because the Lord their God had sent him. In fact, twice in this verse, we see the words, the Lord their God. It says, the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him. Now, if we unpack this phrase, the Lord their God, we find that the word for Lord here is actually the Hebrew word Yahweh, and we've heard that word before. Literally, the verse says, the people obeyed the voice of Yahweh their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because Yahweh their God had sent him. See, anytime Yahweh was used in the Bible, it carried a very specific meaning. Yahweh meant the God of covenant relationship. Yahweh meant God of compassion and forgiveness. It meant God who dwelt with his people despite their failures. There were many pagan gods in ancient times. Pagan pagan worship in this time in history was super common, super common. And ancient people groups worshiped these gods to appease them, to earn their favor, to keep them from being angry. It was a very different relationship than the relationship that God's people had with their God, Yahweh. Because none of these pagan gods were seen as being compassionate. None were seen as being forgiven. In fact, many of them were typically seen as being angry. None were in a covenant relationship with, their, with a particular people. Only Yahweh was compassionate. Only he was gracious. Only Yahweh desired a covenant relationship with his people. And this was the primary difference between all these pagan gods and Yahweh, the God of Israel. Yahweh, to wrap this up in a phrase, Yahweh meant covenant God of love. Yahweh meant covenant God of love. And this was the defining characteristic of the person of Yahweh. And it's because of his identity as the covenant God of love that they obey. And we see this identity explicitly throughout the Old Testament. In Exodus 32, God gave Moses the tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. And one of those commandments specifically said, do not make an image to bow down and worship. Well, Moses is on his way down from the mountain, and some of you know what happened. He's on his way down with the stone tablets, with the Ten Commandments, and he saw that that is exactly what they were doing. They had made a golden calf and were bowing down in worship to this golden calf in the very moment that they were receiving the commandments not to. And when Moses saw the idolatry of the people who already knew that they were not to do this kind of thing, people he's supposed to be leading, Moses got really angry and he broke those tablets because he was so mad. And so God calls Moses back up to Mount Sinai. And in Exodus 34, verse 6, it says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, literally Yahweh, Yahweh, 
the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This was a pivotal moment in the life of God's people when the God Yahweh revealed his character to his people. That he was willing to continue guiding and caring for them despite their blatant disobedience. He reaffirmed his covenant relationship of love with them regardless of their failure. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Because Yahweh, every time it's used, it carries this meaning with it. It's this God of compassion, God of forgiveness, the God of covenant relationship, the God of love. And so why did the whole remnant of Israel obey the words of Haggai? Because Yahweh had sent him. Because Haggai had been sent by the covenant God of love. And we obey God because of his incomparable kindness. We obey God because of his incomparable kindness. About 10 years ago, I remember one time being at a public pool in Hanover, Pennsylvania. The Cadoris Pool. And we used to go there a lot. And we'd bring our kids. I have three kids. And at the time, my oldest was only five or six or seven, some, somewhere in that neighborhood. And I was playing with my two younger kids off to the side next to the pool. And my, my oldest was in the pool playing with his friends and just like doing his thing. He was a good swimmer, so we didn't have to worry too much about him. And, and he's in the pool and he's playing with his friends. And, and lo and behold, somebody pooped in the pool, you know? Why does somebody always have to poop in the pool? It's disgusting. And so their protocol was they'd have to get everybody out for 30 minutes and they'd sanitize and then in 30 minutes everybody could get back into the pool. And so I was distracted. I'm focused on my other two kids. But my friend who's over by the pool told me what happened. You see, everybody got out of the pool except my son. And he, he wasn't doing it on purpose. He was just distracted. He's playing, you know. Everybody's out of the pool until finally this Department of Recreation, Parks and Recreation's police officer starts yelling at my son to get out of the pool. And my son kind of looks up at this angry guy yelling at him, and, and he just looks back down and keeps playing, just ignores him. And so this police officer like walks around the pool to go around to where my son was on the other side of the pool. My son sees him and, and starts swimming away over to the other side of the pool. I guess this went on for several minutes. And this angry police officer is yelling at my son trying to get out of the pool. Can't get to him because he's got his uniform on. He's not about to get in, let alone the fact that someone just pooped in the pool. And he couldn't catch my son for a while, apparently. And I was distracted, playing with my other two kids. But see, my son didn't understand. He didn't know what this angry guy was going to do to him. He knew the guy wanted him to get out of the pool. But he's thinking, I'm not going to submit to that angry cop and let him get me. He ran away because he felt like he couldn't trust that guy. But God is not some 
angry authority figure yelling at us. No, he's Yahweh. He's the covenant God of love. He, his commands can be trusted. His every desire for your life is good. And even when we don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense to us, we can follow because we can trust him. We can trust him. Romans 2 verse 4 says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, Christ's love compels us, Paul says. And we obey God because of his incomparable kindness. Christian, do you know that nothing you could ever do can separate you from his love? Nothing you can do will separate you from his love once you are in Christ. Romans 8 says this. We don't have it on the screens, but I'm going to read it to you. Paul says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not a thing. That includes you. You can't separate yourself from his love. We obey God because of his incomparable kindness. Haggai goes on in this passage. He says in verse 12, and the people feared the Lord. Now literally, it says the people feared the presence of Yahweh. Oftentimes, this statement was made to indicate obedience. When someone feared the Lord, that means they walked in obedience. But we're going to talk about this for a moment. Because this word fear means something very different to us. And it means something very different in many other contexts. Even in the Bible. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It actually says that in three different places in the book of Proverbs. So why does God say that the fear of the Lord is good... But over and over and over in the scriptures, he tells people not to fear. Even when they're afraid of him, he says, do not be afraid. In fact, the Bible says, do not be afraid 147 different times, many of which happen when someone is face to face with Almighty God and they're afraid of him. And God says, fear not. To Isaac, in Genesis 26, he said, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. In Isaiah 41, God says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. In Revelation chapter 1, Jesus appears to John the Apostle in his resurrected, glorified body. And it says, John writes in verse 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Why does God say that the fear of the Lord is good and then tell people not to fear him? over and over and over. Does God like it when people are scared of him so he can tell them not to be? 
Probably not. No, I don't think so. I think the reality here is that if we study the fear of the Lord, we find that it is a different kind of fear. Because fear is made perfect in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. God doesn't want us to be scared of him because a biblical fear of the Lord is a deep reverential awe and respect. It's something different than being afraid, like we're afraid of the dark or afraid of a, of a, a consequence. Biblical fear of the Lord is a deep reverential awe and respect. It's about a recognition and a reverence for his immeasurable majesty. And this reverence leads us to humility and obedience. A few years back, I was driving from Souderton back to Hanover, Pennsylvania, where I live. And it's about a two-hour and 20-minute drive. And I was running late. And I was still in Souderton, and I had just left, and I was just trying to, to get home quickly. And I was doing 13 miles over in my car. And I went past a police officer, and he pulled me over. And he walked up to the car and he said, uh, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, probably because I was speeding. And he said, that's right. Do you have any idea how fast you're going? And I said, I actually don't know how fast I was going. And he said, I clocked you at 13 over. He's like, where, where are you headed? And I said, I'm headed home. I'm running late. Um, I live in Hanover. It's a couple hours away. I said, I apologize. I, I have no excuse. I shouldn't have been going that fast. And he said, you're right. You shouldn't have. He said, but most people would have tried to get out of it or tried to, you know, been frustrated about me pulling him over. You've been respectful and you admitted it, so I'm going to let you off with a warning. I said, thank you. That's kind of you. And he gave me a warning and I went on my way and I drove very close to the speed limit for a couple miles. (laughs) No, I think I, I think I capped it at eight or nine over the rest of the trip, but just keeping it real. I wasn't being respectful to try to get a warning. I wasn't being submissive because I was afraid of him or, or what he might do to me. I, I didn't think he would arrest me if, if, I, if I wasn't respectful and submissive. It wasn't fear of punishment that caused that. It wasn't a... a, a desire to manipulate him to give me a warning. I was being submissive to him out of reverence for the office of law enforcement. His office warrants my submission most of the time, right? As long as he's operating within the law, his office warrants my submission. Church Yahweh is in an office all of his own. Yahweh, the one who invented time, the one who speaks and galaxies form, the one, one who, who, who's so creative that he thought of human life, the one who no man can see and live. Yahweh is in an office all of his own, all of his own. And the biblical fear of the Lord means reverence and submission. Because a life of holy reverence for his majesty is a life of radical obedience. The level of submission warranted by an officer of the law is very different than the level of submission warranted by the one who created all things. It's just a different kind of reverence. 
And the fear of the Lord puts God in his rightful place. And it results in humility, in submission, in obedience because of who he is. The immeasurable majesty of God warrants our obedience. And that's what it means to fear the Lord. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Finally, in verse 13, it says this, Haggai 1.13, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. It's very simple. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. This is a statement about relationship. It's God's commitment to maintain a close intimacy with his followers. And God has said this in key, at key times to many people throughout history. We see God saying these words throughout the Bible. When Moses, Joshua's very close spiritual friend and mentor had just passed away. And then Joshua was faced with the daunting task of leading a million people of Israel into battle in the promised land. God said, I am with you. I will never leave you. God said this to Gideon, Jeremiah, Isaiah, David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Ezekiel, Paul, many others. But you know what the most important places that we find this for us as believers is that he says this to his church, to you and me. Jesus said this to us. In fact, God says this more than 60 times throughout the scriptures to remind his people of his abiding presence. In Matthew 28, Jesus left a ragtag bunch of followers to lead the greatest historical movement in human history to be ridiculed, persecuted, some of them put to death for their faith. And his final words, much like in Haggai, Jesus gives a command for them to follow. Jesus gives a command for us to obey. And then he says, I am with you always. See, these words are sacred. They're sacred. These words carry power when God says, I am with you, because he's talking about a love relationship. He's talking about a supernatural presence that abides with you every moment. And our obedience depends on this reality. Our obedience depends on this reality that God is with you. God's with you. He's with you in the car. He's with you when you're feeling awesome. When you just killed it, you're having a great day and you feel like unstoppable. He's with you. He's with you when life is horrible. He is with you when you get the news that is devastating and changes your life forever. He's with you. He never leaves. His love never changes. He's with you. And the presence of God empowers us for radical obedience. The presence of God empowers us for radical obedience. And the more aware we become of his presence in our lives, the more we want to do what he commands. Why? Why is that? It's because a love relationship is what gives us power to follow him. 
A love relationship with him is what gives us power to follow him. Because rules without relationship is just religion. There's no power there. And when we focus on the rules without a relationship, we always fail. I mean, we might succeed for a minute or a week, but focusing on obedience without a close personal relationship with Jesus doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's like trying to please my wife because it's my duty rather than kindling my relationship with her and then I actually want to. When we focus on trying to follow him without a close personal relationship, it's impossible. But when we run to a person, when our lives are characterized by an intimacy with the living God that transcends physical things in reality, when our lives are characterized by a, a close love relationship with Jesus, then we want to follow his commands. Because obedience works great until we don't feel like it, right? But that relationship is what empowers us. God's presence with us is what gives us the strength to walk in radical obedience to him. Now, the caveat to all of this, all these promises, the God of love, the God of covenant relationship, he says, I am with you. This stuff is only true for you if you're his. Before we're in Christ, before we're among his people, before we put our faith in Jesus, we don't have the same access to a relationship with God. And that's why it is so important to trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus for our salvation because that is when this spiritual relationship begins. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray. And we're going to wrap up the sermon and then I'm going to invite you to do something different this morning. But when I pray, I'm going to pray a couple of special prayers. Number one, I'm going to pray for those of us in, in the room or in the video cafe or watching online who maybe haven't taken that first step of putting their faith in Jesus yet. And we're going to pray a prayer of faith together. And we're going to say, Jesus, I choose to trust in you for the very first time, to trust in your death and resurrection for my sin. But I'm also going to pray a prayer for those of us who've done that. And, and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit in this moment to bring to our minds the thing in our lives that he wants in, for us to walk in deeper obedience. And we're going to invite him together. We're going to say, Holy Spirit, tell me what it is. What area is it in which you want me to start obeying you more fully? So let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads in, in reverence and prayer to God. Jesus, for those of us in this place who have yet to put our faith in the gospel of Jesus and begin this close personal relationship with you. This morning, we say yes to the gospel. We say yes to Jesus, and we put our faith in you. And God, we believe that you died for us, that you rose from the dead, and we want the life that you have to offer. And we put our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And for those of us who've done that already, God, this morning we ask that you would bring to our minds 
an area of our lives in which you want us to more fully obey. Maybe it's a specific thing in our lives that we're doing or, or that we're not doing. Or maybe it's something deep inside of our hearts like forgiveness or trust or something that we've given into like doubt or despair. God, maybe it's things that we've made too important and you want to be more important in our lives, God. Whatever it is, we pray right now that you would bring it to our minds in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, that you're faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hosting for this podcast has been brought to you by Anchor from Spotify. Our intro and outro song is Creative Mind by Ben Sound. From all of us here at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.